podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. He was by far the best coach, manager that I played under. In every respect, there, were, there wasn't anywhere where you could say I didn't really like the way he did that because he, everything he did was immaculate. For me, Tottenham Hotspur, it's been my life. It's been the one consistent in my life. It's always been there. It'll always be there. And um, it's been a real thrill to be on both sides. Hi everyone, here we are for another episode of Off The Shelf, with me Michael Dawson and my co-host Paul Miles, how are you, long time no see? Long time no see, I'm great, thank you very much, glad to get back into it. And we've got a great guest. Incredible guest, this is a special player for us, came through the academy, 335 games was in the end doors, as I said, lifted the FA Cup, and uh, 335 games, that just puts him just outside the top 30 all-time appearances, absolutely gem of a fella who's still playing football for Spurs legends. Go on, I'll let you introduce him. Yeah, you, you've said it all there, uh, Miles, and, and I, I can back that up. I can, I've seen him playing the legends, the oh. best legend out there as well. Defies man. age, mate. Uh, oh, he certainly does. If I'm still going like that at his age, I'll be an happy man. Anyway, let's introduce him. David Howells, it's a pleasure to have you. Good to see you guys. Great to see you. Great to see you, Howellsy. Look, we're going to take it right the way back to, uh, to when you were growing up in Surrey. Just, I mean, what was life like for... Uh, a young housey. Uh, I guess it was quite normal. I guess it was quite normal in, in, in compared to what I, other other childhoods I can think of. Um, normal school. Uh, luckily, I had a brother, a younger brother, so we could play football and knock about, and that's all we ever did: play football, cricket in the summer, go over to common with the other boys and girls from the from the street or play in the street, and that was what we were doing all the time. Uh, straight after school, get into our scruffs or football kit and go and play until it got dark, come back in, have tea, go to bed. Still covered in mud probably as well. <laughs> so yeah, it was a happy childhood, but all based around sport. We, every weekend was sport with dad. I could say football in the, in, the, in the winter and then cricket in the summer. And we'd spend the whole day at the clubs. Um, dad was a manager. Uh, he was a goalkeeper to start with, um, but we remember him mostly as a manager of, of, a, of a club local to us. We kind of grew up there really just watching football, kicking around behind the goal. Um, and same with cricket, just walking around the outfield, playing cricket around the outfield, having the tees, and just really lovely weekends. That was our weekend and we looked forward to it and loved it. Doors, it's not unsurprising, is it, that the, the great, great players who we've had on this podcast, it all starts with when you're a kid, picking up a football and playing football. I think that's where the dream starts, isn't it? I mean, Elsie's just touched on it there. You go, you follow your parents. You, I, I used to go and watch my dad and I'm playing in the street. Elsie's the same. I like it, you're playing uh, It's normally the Yorkshireman who play the cricket, Elsie. I, I was one of them as well. But yeah, I mean, your dream starts at a young age. When did you really think this is a dream that I can follow? When did you think, I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at this game. I can, I can go and be uh, a professional. Yeah. So my dad was friends with a guy called Harry Hughes. Now, Harry Hughes would be known to a few older Spurs fans. He's, he opened the first ever Spurs shop on the corner of Park Lane and Tottenham High Road. And Harry was a footballer at Guildford City as well, uh, had a league career at Bournemouth and was a great man. He was a great man, Harry Hughes. Uh, he had a shop in Guildford, Harry Hughes Sports Shop. Anyway, when that closed down, he took over the Spurs shop. And my dad knew him from Guildford and um, he got dad involved in a bit of scouting for, for, the, for the club once dad had stopped playing, was, was managing. So I you know, just said, any, any kids in the area you think are good enough, 
um, we'll have them looked at, sort of thing. A bit very loose connection. So um, we went. And, my dad and I went and watched Spurs under 15s. I think it was a Sunday on a Sunday down near Horsham, because it wasn't too far away from us. And he said, watch the game, because I was about 11 probably at the time, 10 or 11, watch the game and tell me what you think and do you think you might be good enough one day? So I did. And it was a level that I'd not seen before. There were, there were, everyone seemed big, obviously it was a big drop, uh, step up, 15, 15s down to 11 rather than so. But they looked like an, another world, these footballers. And I, I thought to myself, crikey, that's different, that is different, but it's somewhere to aim for, at least. So that was the first time I'd ever seen players at that level. Um, and I was doing all right. I was doing okay. I was playing for district, went, went to secondary school, got in the county team. And I was playing for the county team at um, Richardson Evans, which was where Wimbledon used to train. Always scouts there, loads of scouts there. And there was another scout from Spurs there as well as my dad. And after the game, the scout from Spurs said to my dad, look, he needs to come up. I did all right. Scored a great goal um, playing midfield. He needs to come up for a trial. He's ready. And I think I'm 11 and a half, 12 by now. Um, so dad was like, Phew. I think he'd probably been holding me back, um, if truth be told. But um, I came up in the school holidays with another boy from the same county team, another boy from Guildford. And we came up to Chesant training ground in, in this half term. And it was like nothing I'd ever seen before. Everyone seemed a foot taller than me, stronger than me. Uh, the ability levels were just something, that, like I said, just on a, on a different scale. Um, and somehow I bluffed my way through the trial. I, I, I had a bit of a mare, but got picked in the final game to play on the wing, because I think there was a space and they probably felt sorry for me. Anyway, in this final game, I had a blinder. I terrorized the fullback and was getting whipping crosses in. Um, and got invited back to training for the rest of the season. And my mate didn't, he, he, he didn't get through the trial. So it was a tough journey home because I'm buzzing because yeah. I got invited back and he hadn't. So I had to control that one. And that was the start of it. That was the start of it. So I was training on a Monday night in the ball courts at White Hart Lane. Used to get on the train straight from school. Well, actually dad used to pick us up from school, drive to Stockwell Tube up the A3. We'd jump out there and uh, get on the Victoria line to Seven Sisters on the bus. By the time we'd finished training, Dad would drive through London, get there to pick us up and drive us home. These ball courts, I've seen some players, by the way. Oh, by the way. Keep hearing about these yeah. ball courts. What a place, all the what time. a place to And the sacrifices that your dad and the dedication that they help, I think the parents, I always touch on these, that when we start from a young age, the parents that they give up and travelling and the commitment that they do to see where you get is incredible. It's the journeys behind, yeah. Yeah. you don't really see it, do you? What, what, exactly what you've detailed there. Of course, yeah. And, and, and you know, he had to give up his own footballing interests. Uh, like I said to you, he was a manager. Um, and I'm sure he didn't mind because it's his boys. And, and my brother was a player as well. And, and a couple of years later, Gareth joined the staff here as well. And dad must have been in his element then. But you know, there's a lot of hard work that's gone on before that to get to that level. So you, you joined the academy as a, as a trainee in the 80s. What, what was life like at Spurs and what did you walk into David? My digs were in Clonmel Road in Tottenham which is about 150 yards from Broadwater Farm uh, in South Tottenham and I joined a lovely family uh, Mrs Williams, Pat Williams and her son Stephen who was a year or so older than me um, and we, we 
got on like a house on fire, Stephen and I. He looked after me. He showed me the ropes. A boy from Guildford moving into Tottenham. It, it's not like Guildford. Even I open up. It's not like it at all. So I needed him. I needed him, and he was great. He looked after me, as I say. Um, there was no nothing flash about the digs at all. It was a terraced house, and like I say, Clonmel Roads are just a normal street in Tottenham. Um, Everything going on there. I mean, whilst I was in digs in the first year, the, the, the Tottenham riots happened. Um, that was mind blowing. Um, it must have been like, quite scary. It was. It was. It was. I was. The, the riots happened on a Sunday, and I was back in Guildford. So we'd played on the Saturday, back in Guildford on uh, on the Sunday, and I used to come back on the train on Monday morning, and then go back to my digs after after training Monday, and got back. Well, left White Hart Lane, walking back home, obviously I know the riots were on, and it was just there were police everywhere. Every other car down our street was turned over, burnt out. It was crazy times, yeah. Um, I was lucky. I, the, the family I was with looked after me and made it easy for me, but uh, it was an eye-opener, to say the least, yeah. Let, let's go back to your, your academy times, and a lot different to when I was there, and even more now to the academy players. Jobs in and around the uh, White Hart Lane. Whose boots did you clean, if any? Oh yeah, no, we we, would, we had to do all of that and more. Yeah. Um, the boots was one of the easiest things we had to do. Who's did you do? I, I, I had Graham Roberts and Tony Galvin, two quite hard taskmasters. I was Robbo. <laughs> Imagine Robbo chasing after you for his boots. Uh, listen, I still see Robbo yeah. now, as you know. We still see <laughs> Robbo now, and he's got this thing in his mind that he used to give me loads of money at Christmas and stuff like that. I'm like, no, Robbo. <laughs> I let him believe it because I don't want to spoil his illusion. But uh, he, used to get, he used to give me some of his old boots every now and again, which were about three sizes too big. And they were knackered by then. You yeah, well, he didn't want them anymore. Yeah, that's no good. What did you say? These are no good, Robbo. Not playing these. So, um, no, they were great. They were great. And then if there was a speck of dust or mud on them, it would be like throw them back at you and get them done properly. Yeah, I can imagine, Robbo. So, there were, there were, we used to, after training every day, we used to we go back to the ground from Chesham, just up the road, in the minibus together and... We'd have jobs to do back there, but we loved it. We loved it. The, the groundsman back then was a guy called uh, Colin White, Chalky White. And we used to help Chalky out with, with stuff around the pitch and just around the ground that he had to do. He, he, was, a, he was such a funny character, Chalky. I mean, there's some, some legendary stories about Chalks that uh, can and can't be told, but uh, he's just uh, one of the many characters around the ground. The ground staff, people like Billy Fox and uh, and the like, and Roy Rayland, who was coming through the ground staff, who later became Kit Man, um, Johnny Wall, Johnny Wallace, the, who used to drive us around. Real characters who, who made the club what it was. Do you think academy players miss out on that now? As, as hard as it was, you miss that connection with the first team players, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, not spending time around the academy now, I'm sure they're very well looked after. I'm sure they're having a fantastic time. But for us to be able to, there was still a hierarchy through the changing room. There's only three changing rooms at Chesant. Um, and we, we used to train at, at change at White Hart Lane anyway, but uh, you'd, you'd have to work your way through the changing rooms up to the first team changing room. Um, and if you even walked through collecting kit into the first team changing room, and there were still players in there. They were like, oh, what are you doing? Get out. This isn't your room. And not in them words, by the way. They would use that. different language yeah. for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, Everyone was aware of that. But again, it was just the way it was. Now, I'm not saying it's right, and it certainly wouldn't work now, but um, we loved it. Nonetheless, we loved it. It was, it was you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't go home. It would, it, would, it would come to six o'clock, and you'd still be at the ground, still mucking about doing this, doing that. 
and then they'd have to say, oh, listen, you better get off. <laughs> You've got to be back here at seven in the morning. Yeah. So, uh, but lovely times, you know, great memories. And luckily, I'm still able to see some of the, some of the guys who I was an apprentice with. And we, we share some great stories and memories, some that you forget about and get reminded. And it's just, just class. Who was in and around your uh, age group? Anyone, uh, any other names? That... Yeah, so we had a good age group in terms of lads who went on and had careers. Vinnie Sandways was a year under me. Vinnie's had a great career. Um, John Polston, the same year as me. Danny Maddox, uh, John Moncur, um, I would say that uh, Mark Stimson, like called Gary Paul, um, Philip Gray went on and had a good career. So lots of lads who yeah. went on and had good careers and, and played at good level. Good level. So, um, and, and as I say, luckily we still get to see each other fairly regularly and, and it's, it's just nice to be able to do that and chat. We, we touched on, just before we came on, Owlsy, holding midfielder. Or attacking midfield, then holding midfielder. Was there any other position you played as a as a young kid, or was that always your position? I was a striker when I first came to Tottenham, and as I said earlier, that, that trial game where I ended up on the wing, that kind of made me an attacking player in their eyes. Uh, I was always a midfield player with school, district, county, as you probably were, because you can influence the game. The better players influence the game more from that position. But when I came here, I was a winger, and then evolved from that attacking position to be a number nine. And I was a number nine. I made my debut for the first team as a number nine. All my youth team games as a striker. Quite prolific, Dorse. Yeah, quite prolific. Um, and That's it, where the finishings come from. When I, when I see him in the yeah, Legends game, he puts him in the top bend. You think, oh, how's yes, he that? Yes, yes, Just he that in there. <laughs> I was, um, I'm realising now. I think when you can play, you understand positions. And you could go and play centre-forward because you played against enough centre-forwards yeah. to know what they do and what centre-halves don't like. And I think when you're, when you're a bright, intelligent footballer like we were, Dorse, you, will, uh, you understand positions and you, you can slot in where you needed to play. And that was my philosophy anyway. When, once I got out of the youth team and into the reserves and wanted to play more first-team football, I was just prepared to play anywhere. And I would play anywhere. And I would play full-back sometimes, wide midfield, um, anywhere where, they, where we wanted me to, where the manager wanted me to, I'd play. Just to being in it and around it wasn't wasn't precious about it. Just wanted to play and being in that group. So that helped me being adaptable and understanding what the role was needed in the team. That helped me. Eventually, I was able to nail down a position as a midfielder. And initially, the first half of my career, I'd say you're in a midfield two where you're both expected to do everything as a proper midfielder. In you, a four-four-two, you've got probably, you've got to carry yeah. an attacking threat. And you've got to do your, do your stuff in both boxes. So, um, of course, I was prepared to do that because that gets me in the team. As my career evolved, it became more a case of, OK, so we're now going to play a different system whereby people have more attacking responsibilities, have to get involved a little bit less defensively. And me being that sort of minded player who, who can be a bit more responsible, that became my role. And I, I love that as well. So although it took a bit of, away from me attacking instincts, if you like, and didn't get into so many creative scoring opportunities, uh, I still loved that role. Yeah, it's just a very important role in the team, as we see even to this day. You mentioned your debut. So let's, let's talk about your debut. Um, 1986, Sheffield United. Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday. Oh, it's a crime. It's a crime. I read that wrong. But no, look, you're, you're 18. You're 18 and you walk into that. Um, tell, um, look, before we go into the day, tell us about the build-up to it. When were you told you're going to be involved? Like I said, I, I was still in the youth team. Still in the youth team, just 18. And I'd been, I'd been flying. I was, I was 
doing never so well. And Peter Shreve was manager, and Shreve's, he loved getting youth team players involved, having been a youth team coach and been a, t a proper Tottenham man. Um, it was a real thing of his to, to bring young players through. And I'd been involved in the squad, never been on the bench, just one sub back then, never quite made it to the bench, but travelled away a couple of times, just getting, getting me used to it, the environment. It was still, for me, crazy. I'm a youth team player and I'm sitting there in the, in the meeting room and, in, and having dinner. I remember one night, I think it was Coventry, we played away. And um, the, 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 the meal before, the night before, we're all sitting around and Steve Perham was looking at the menu and Steve, Stevie says, uh, does anyone want to share the Chateaubriand with me? And I'm thinking, we're having wine. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, and then, then someone says, "Oh no, it's, it's a big steak. You can share." It. So I, I'm like, "I'll share a steak with Steve." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Share a steak with Steve Perrin. So I had this Chateau Brion, which I've never even heard of, obviously. And I shared a steak with him, and, and, and this away trip, and I couldn't wait to tell my dad when I got home. But uh, anyway, the, the, the Sheffield Wednesday one—I just thought I was on the trip again uh, for experience, but. Uh, the team had struggled for, I think we'd gone five games without scoring. Uh, Clive was injured and it was, the conditions were, were terrible up there, as often is the case in Sheffield. But it was snowy, the pitch was half covered in snow and half grass. We played with an orange ball and they just cleared the lines. And on the way to the game, Shrevesy pulled me down the front of the coach and said, you're going to start today, son. So I was like, oh my God. The first thing I said, oh, I wish you'd have said, because my dad would have come up and watched, obviously. Yeah. And he said, I told your dad last night, he's here. So my dad, dad and my mum, everyone was there, yeah. So <laughs> they, they all got there, so he'd already he'd given the heads up that, uh, that I was playing, so they all made it. And the game was a bit of a blur. Um, it was a struggle on the icy pitch. Wednesday, were a good team, very direct and very physical. And we were 1-0 down at half-time and going nowhere. We are having an absolute shocker. Clem had made some great saves to keep us in it. And I remember vividly at half-time, Stevie P speaking to the referee saying, we shouldn't be playing here, we need to get this called off ref, it's, it's ridiculous, it's a farce. Anyway, we didn't get it called off, Second, thank God we didn't get it called off. Second half, John Chidozzi got an equaliser, and we played a lot better. Chris Waddle moved from out wide down the middle, started getting on the ball a bit. And about halfway through the second half, Waddle knocked it out to Paul Allen on the right. Ollie slid a great ball across the middle and I slid in on the ice, ciphered it into the near post corner to score the winner on my debut. And it was... It literally it was, doesn't get better than that. No, it doesn't it? get better than that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things that you'll never forget. And luckily, my family were there as well, so it's something for them to, to hold on to as well. You've just named a few there, Steve Perryman, Chrissy Waddle, Mabs, superstars, legends of the games. How was it chairing a dressing room with them? Because I remember walking in at 21 to a dressing room full of superstars. It's, it's an eye-opener. Honestly, 18 months earlier, I was collecting them as stickers in my panini and then swaps on the yeah. playground, literally. So for me to be sitting there, changed, ready to play it's quite with surreal, those guys, yeah. it was oh, terrifying. Yeah, were you nervous? Yeah, yeah. really nervous. Um, never played in front of a crowd before. So actually walking out the tunnel at Hillsborough, which is an imposing stadium, yeah, it's, it's a yeah. vast stadium, 25,000 there. And it was, uh, I'm like, Whoa, this is, this is great, yeah. um, but it was it was um, a tricky one. But I don't think I had a great game. It was a difficult surface and probably not a great day for front players and in general. But to to get to have an involvement in the game. And can you can you remember how was it? Anyone who took you under your wing? 
know, when you walked in, I know you'd been in the academy, so the CEO in and around, but was there anyone who sort of put their uh, own? Not necessarily. Mark Falco I roomed with the night yeah. before. Mark was great, and I played up front with him, so it was us two up, up top. Um, and he was great and spoke to me really nicely and, and just encouraging. Glenn Hoddle was on the trip, but he took one look at the pitch and <laughs> oh, I can't play on that. So I think he had a bit of a knee injury, um, Glenn, at the, at the time. But Glenn was always very encouraging. And I think what you find, especially, is uh, lads who have come through and been like you and come through the ranks at the, at the club. Um, Steve Perriman, again, just, just in everything that he did, he was perfect. So he would speak to you in a really nice way and a proper way and, and try and make you feel like a man, even though you just feel like a little boy yeah. sitting there. You remember it though, don't you? you yeah, remember that of first course, game yeah. people who helped you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was it? What were the first few years like before you properly established yourself? I mean, I mean, look, I'm thinking '86, '87, that unbelievable season we had yep. when you were breaking through. I mean, that was yeah. some team. So it? that was the next season. So, so anyway, after that, scoring the winner, the next game's a live TV game, which were quite big events mm -hmm. in those days. We're playing Liverpool at home. Liverpool were still a massive club, but they were the team at the, at the time. And um, the next week was a home game against Liverpool live on TV. And he left me out. I was the sub. I was the one sub. And Glenn Hoddle came back into the team. Other than that, it was unchanged. And I can't grumble with that. Glenn Hoddle oh, coming back yeah. into the team. But um, they lost 1-0 to Liverpool, but played well. And they went on a decent run till the end of the season. And I never got another look in that year. Next season, Shrevesy unfortunately got the sack. Um, David Pleat came in. The team took on a different feel. And we all know how it kind of went that season. And Clive got 49 goals and I was a centre forward. So yeah, five know, I, midfield, I, I played one game yeah. when Clive had an injury at home against Luton. Nil-nil draw. Never played up front on my own. Didn't know, was lost. Was like never, never knew what was happening. Didn't touch the ball. I don't remember much anyway. So uh, it, that was tough. But I was only young. I was still 18, 19 that season. Um, just learning my trade in the reserves, which was a great place to go and learn your trade back then. You're playing against senior players most weeks or against young players who are trying to be uh, first-team players. So the reserves, the football combination was a really great place to, to be if that's, you know, you, with aspirations to get into the first team. And I enjoyed it. I had a couple of years playing regularly in the combination, learning. Um, it's where I went back to playing midfield. We were playing at Highbury against Arsenal in the reserve game. Had a lot of injuries. Doug Livermore, the manager, said, oh, can you play midfield? I went, well, yeah, I'm actually a midfielder. You know, that's, so I did, I played and did really well and never played anywhere else really after that. Um, and it wasn't really until um, when Terry Venables came to the club that Terry's, um, Terry had a word with me right at the very beginning. He said, I know you. Um, he said, I like you. He said, but you're going to be one of those players for me who... who nearly has a career here, goes on, so goes off somewhere else and probably has a nice career. He said, but I think you've got a chance here, but it's up to you. He said, you're drifting at the moment. Um, you can pull your finger out and I think you can be a player here or you can go. He said, don't matter to me because I'll just get somebody else in who will have a career. Which sounds quite brutal, really. But it was brilliant. Now. It was absolutely yeah. brilliant. And, and it wasn't in a threatening way or anything like that. With Terry, he, he always got the tone right and he certainly did there. And it made me butt my ideas up, for sure. So that was the start of your relationship with... The great Terry Venables, the, the sadly departed now Terry Venables. Tell, tell, tell us about what an influence he had on your, on your career. Well, yeah, I mean, it, he was by far the best coach, manager that I played under. Um, 
in every respect, there, there wasn't anywhere where you could say, I didn't really like the way he did that because he, everything he did was immaculate. Um, it was great company and you could have a laugh with him and he was funny. You wouldn't just laugh at him because he's the gaffer and you have to, you laugh because he was genuinely funny and his sense of humour was, was, was good and, and it was contagious in his enthusiasm. He was so bright, so clever. Um, he always sent you out to matches, understanding the plan, knowing that you understood the plan. Now, we weren't always good enough to carry the plan out, but we always knew what it was. Training, you understood why you were training, what you were training towards. Uh, it was always vibrant and fun, and you worked hard. Um, and he just had a way of dealing with people. Even, even the lads who weren't in the team liked him, and that's the hard part as a manager, or there are plenty of hard parts, but as a manager, to, to still have the respect and, and, and the, the, the lads who are out of the team want to play for you when they do get back in, that's, that's, the hard, that's the hard bit. But he was such a genuinely decent man. Uh, would, wouldn't just, we wouldn't just snub you if you weren't around. The first team would try and help you in every way he could. So yeah, it's, it's a massive loss, Terry. But just the, the effect that he had. I mean, there, there was a, a massive outpouring of respect for him, um, and I think there always has been. Anyway, it didn't it didn't take for him to pass away for that to happen? Everyone you ever spoke to about him, I never heard anybody say, "Yeah, it wasn't for me." Um, it was always it was the best. He was the best we, I worked under. Even lads who only worked with him with England for those sort of short international breaks didn't work with anybody better. He was just. It was absolutely amazing. Around the same sort of time, there's a certain Mr. Gascoigne turns up at the club. I mean, I mean, you're playing midfield now. How does Gaza's arrival, and we know what's coming in the future, but how does Gaza's arrival sort of change where this team is going as well with, with Terry? Yeah. Because you've now got a once-in-a-generation talent in that team. Yeah, you, and I think we knew it. I think we knew it. We, we'd played at Newcastle the season before he signed and they beat us 2-0 and he scored both and he was on another level. And then it was an absolute mud pie of a pitch and he just glided across the top of the mud um, and just pushing people off, like, just like an exclusion zone around. You couldn't get near him. And we were all like, wow, what a player that is. What a player. And then we signed him. So you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is special. We've got you know, the best player I'd seen that, that, not only that year, for a long time. So it was very exciting. And we already had Chris Waddle. Um, and it looked like, well, it was an exciting team and an exciting time. Um, so yeah, we, I got on great with Gazza from the minute he arrived. He was just, just a lovely personality, um, genuinely kind. Um, interested in, in everybody in the club and would go out of his way to chat to people and have fun with people and involve everyone in his mucking about and he would come back with it he would go because we still used to go back to the ground after even as pros first second year pros still go back to our lane because we'd go back and have some fun down there and do stuff and he would do that with us as well he'd come back and bring his air rifle and take pot shots at the cockerel and oh stuff like that gosh. so <laughs> just, just completely mucking about, just having fun, enjoying yourselves. Any other like stories kids. that you can tell? Gaza, for me, growing up, was my idol. He, he was the guy that you thought, can I play football? Like, no, you can't. He, he, was, he was so special. He had the skills, he had the character. And me, as a, as a young, probably 10-year-old, 8, 9, 10-year-old, Gaza was a man. Any other stories? 
The ostrich one's true. The ostrich it? one is true. Yeah, he, he he borrowed an ostrich from the wildlife park at up at Broxbourne, like you do. Yeah. Just borrowed an ostrich because we we'd signed Steve Sedgley. Sedge was a great character. Is a great character, yeah. but he always used to hammer Sedge about his long neck and. Uh, he, he got this. He borrowed this ostrich, brought it into training, like you do. How did he get the ostrich into training? I've heard this story. Yeah, so he, 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 he turned up at Paradise. He, he sorted it. He knew the guys at Paradise Wildlife Park, and he just phoned them up, said, "Listen, can I borrow an ostrich?" And they said, "Yeah." They, and one of the one of the guys came with him in the car with the ostrich. And imagine just driving down the A A41, putting it alongside, and his gas going, and an ostrich in the car. Gets to the training ground, puts a number, uh, I think Sedge wore number, I don't know, whatever, what, number four jersey or something like that. Puts a, a Sedgley shirt on it and sets it off onto the training ground. We were all out there warming up, just about to start warm up, playing the rondas and stuff like that. And he gets this ostrich out onto the training ground and it starts running around in a, in a Spurs shirt, in a Sedgley shirt. And Venable is like that, trying to put on a proper session. Yeah, yeah. And Gaz has set this ostrich off. They couldn't catch it for about an hour. So we're sitting there just waiting to start training the car stretch. I was away with England when, when Terry was coach under Steve McLaren and I always used to just want to ask him, what was it like managing Gaza? And he just said he just used to have to go with it. Yeah. Let him do things when he'd do that. He just, 100%, yeah. Just sort of go with anyone else you'd hammer. I just think it's Gaza. Leave him to do whatever he wants. He produces at weekend. Unbelievable player. And, you just, and that's probably why Terry Venables is such a good manager. Because some people are going, I don't care if it's Gaza or whoever it is, I'm not dealing with that. But it's just have some well, pe people say it. people say that Gascoigne might have been better off going to, to United under Ferguson, and as much respect as I've got for him, yeah. I don't think so. I don't think he could have gone anywhere better than with Terry Venables. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, good luck to anybody who's, who's ever. Tr I mean, managers will tell you, people who's worked with Gaza will tell you, you do just have to let him have his head sometimes yeah. and go. Yeah. Um, we. Every away trip, we used to have to take a young player who wasn't part of the match day playing squad to room with Gascoigne. Because if you were playing or a part of the group, you wouldn't get any sleep. And that was just understood. He was just too hyperactive. So, and I'm sure we'll get onto the FA Cup run in a minute, but in the fifth round of the Cup, we're away at Portsmouth. And Justin Edinburgh, God bless him, was uh, selected as the non-squad member who was going to room with Gascoigne. So, some bright spark has booked us a hotel with a squash court adjacent to it. So after dinner, Gazza and Justin have gone off to play squash and they play squash for about three and a half hours after, after dinner the night before the game. Get back to the room, you've got Justin doing burpees and sit-ups in the room and, and just wouldn't let him sleep and didn't get any sleep himself, but there you go. So next day we go off to the, to the stadium and Justin's absolutely shattered. And he's, so we, we go into the change room, Justin stays on the bus for a sleep, he's knackered. Um, go out for the warm-up, and in the warm-up, Terry Fennick, oh, the pitch was unbelievable, Terry Fennick broke his leg in the warm-up, rolled his ankle in the mud, broke his leg in the warm-up, and Fenn was playing right back. So everyone's going, oh, Dougie Livermore, the uh, assistant manager, where's Justin, where's Justin? Well, he's asleep on the bus, he's knackered. And I know, he's got to play, he's got to play. You're joking. He can't play, he's not any sleep. So I got Justin off the bus, woke him up, got him off the bus, Justin plays left back, Pat van der Nel goes to right back. And we're 1-0 down at half time and we played all right. Justin's done quite well considering he's had no sleep. Second half, who stands up, who steps up? Gascoigne scores two unbelievable goals and we go through 2-1, beat Portsmouth in the fifth round. Justin does all right at left back, stays in the team, gets a cup winner's medal as a career. 
Brilliant. Gascoigne basically got us to the cup final. The stories behind the stories are, inc are incredible, Halsey. Let's, fa let's fast forward to the, to the cup final, Halsey, because not many people have done what you've done, walked, walked up them, them stepped and lifted the trophy. Let's go back to the final. I'll tell you what, let's go back to the semi-final. Oh, semi, yeah, yeah, the David team and that, that goal. That's one, actually, I remember from Gaza. I think I would be eight then. Seven or eight. That's the, one. That's oh, the oh famous gosh, one. That and the Scotland one's the famous yeah. one. But tell us it's about the moments. Game. So the moments in the big games when, when players like him step up and do things like that. And that's why they're the great players. And, and before we go any further, I mean, we, we've spoken about the silly stuff with Gaza, but I do try and qualify every time I speak about Gascoigne. What a player. Yeah. What oh, a player. I mean, I know it's not, it's not in question, but he had no weakness. He had no weaknesses at all. He, like I say, earlier, he travelled with the ball in tight areas and you couldn't get near him. He mixed his passing up long and short. He knitted it together. He didn't mind defending. Physical side, he didn't, didn't mind. He scored every type of goal. He just had everything. He, he, he literally didn't have a weakness as a player. And, and a lot of people say, oh, yeah, but his attitude... His attitude to football was exemplary. If you mucked about in training, once training, once you're in the session or in the game, he wouldn't accept anything other than 100% concentration and effort off anybody, and that included himself. So that's the first thing I have to say about that. But um, the great players always producing the great moments, and he did that constantly throughout his career. That game, that Arsenal semi-final game, was the biggest game I was ever involved in up to that point, and arguably bigger than the final, although once you get to the final, you could say that's the, you know, but there would have been no final if it hadn't been for that semi-final game. And the build-up to the game was unique. There'd never been a semi-final at Wembley before. Tottenham and Arsenal had never played in a semi-final before. They were running away with the league title. They were going to win the double. Um, we'd fallen off a little bit from where we were. We started the season really well. Gazza had had a bit of an injury. The team wasn't firing, but we'd played them twice already in the league and both were draws, both were nil-nil draws actually. The Highbury game was a bit of a non-event. The White Hart Lane game, we battered them, we battered them. And Seaman had an absolute stormer. Lineker had two or three one-on-ones where he was normally lethal uh, and Seaman saved them all. And, and we, we gave him a, a, a bit of a chasing that day. So we went into the game knowing that we, we could do it. And then Terry set us up brilliantly. I actually played left side of midfield that day. Um, with Paul Allen on the right, and our job was to stop their fullbacks getting any any service into into their strikers, as well as obviously carrying and attacking throughout ourselves. So, but we'd worked we'd worked tirelessly on the formation, and how are we going to beat them? And we all went in there confident of, of beating them. I don't think our fans were that confident. It was a, it was a nervy sort of approach to the game, but within minutes. You just knew you had a feeling. We had a feeling about it. He scores that free kick. And then him and Paul Allen work a bit of magic for Lineker to score the second. And I know we had to withstand some pressure, but um, we won the game convincingly. First half hour was as good as it gets. Yeah, it was. It was just one of the best performances I've been involved in at the right time, you know, to, to be able to do that in those circumstances. Arsenal when it lost once that season. Yeah, yeah one league game. One league game and another uh, another cup game. So, yep, it was it was it was an immense day, and obviously it, it led to the final. And we were lucky because we had Gary Mabbott and Paul Allen, who were involved in '87 when they lost, who experienced that losing the final. And 
I think there's a couple of cliches that it's better to lose the final than lose the semi-final, and they were both. It's the worst feeling I've ever had to lose the final, to to, to um, be in that situation. So yeah, we we were determined to to go and go and win the cup, and yeah, as determined as I'm sure Forrest was determined as well. But again, we 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 played well. We were a better team throughout that final. We were unlucky in the first half. We lost our man. We lost Gaza uh, through his injury. They scored from the free kick that he got injured at. We then got a penalty, which we missed. The keeper saved it. We scored, which wasn't offside, but was given offside. So everything was going wrong. Everything was going wrong. And again, Terry just showed um, what a man he was with his half-time. And the first couple of minutes in the change room, we were all just asking about Gaza, how he was, what's happened. And he was off to hospital and it was a bad one. So we're devastated for him, of course. So there's a couple of the you know the, the, the overriding thing was you know to do it for Gascoigne because he's got this far anyway, and we all loved him, um, but also to do it for ourselves as well, to be able to prove that we're a team even without him, um, and that's kind of more or less what Terry said. We'd already tweaked a few on on pitch things because Naeem came on for Gaza, and started by playing down the middle as Gascoigne would have done, but. Uh, Paul Stewart and I quickly realised that we're kind of overloaded in the middle. We needed Naeem to play a bit wider, so we shifted him out wide and he occupied the, the full-backs. Uh, Paul Allen was doing a great job with Stuart Pearce, who was a marauding left-back, and uh, Gary Charles, who had got forward and Gaza fouled, um, didn't get forward hardly at all after Naeem went out and played up against him and pe pegged it back a little bit. So it worked really well in terms of the, uh, the reshuffle and Terry's words, and we went back out second half, and again just played really, really well. And it, it felt inevitable that we were going to score. You know, you get a feeling in a game, it's coming, it's coming, and we felt it was coming. And even in extra time, I was never thinking about a replay. I just felt it's coming. We're going to win. We're going to score. We feel, I feel like so comfortable in the game here. So yeah, unfortunately, it was Des who, who got the yeah. own goal. And I know Des well from from the Monday nights back in. The early 80s when he used to come up when he was training at Tottenham as well. So I was devastated for Des, but I'll still see him now and thank him for that. <laughs> so, you, I mean, you, you, you then do what we all dream, dreamt of doing when we were kids. So talk us through, talk us, very few people have done it, David. Walking up those steps, Princess Di is in there yeah. as part of the, you know, the... the you know the the raw party for that for that game and yeah it was surreal mate it was surreal again just thinking back to your days as a kid the first thing I went down sort of on my knees on the pitch at the final whistle and you just, you do literally think back to your days as a kid when you used to watch it on telly and think I'm part of it this is it I'm, this is happening to me you literally think that and so it did feel a bit surreal. And I've said to Paul Coy a couple of times when we've spoken about this, I've tried not to watch the game too often because I want my feelings and memories of it to be in-game rather than watching it on a screen. And I'm sure I'll probably watch it more and more over the years as I get older because I'll probably forget stuff. But it's nice to have memories of actually in-game memories, you know, so as opposed to watching it on the telly. Wembley's a great place, but it's only for winners. 100%. Look back to 2009, obviously we won it in 2008. But then I went back in, in the Championship with Hull. Yeah. But I remember going to Wembley, probably after you'd won the FA Cup then, and I remember there's a picture of me walking up and I was pretending to lift the FA Cup with obviously a replica one. And I always remember walking in the, being in the changing rooms and thinking, Gaz has been in this bath. Do you know, as a young yeah. eight, nine, ten-year-old, it's just surreal yeah. to... 
That's well, it. it did. Those old changing rooms hold yeah. so many memories, don't they? And then you, we, we were in the, thinking, oh, this is the World Cup changing room, Bobby yeah. Moore. Did you think of that? And then going back even 50 years of that to the, the great cup, the early cup finals and the history that that place had. The Twin Towers, you know, when yeah. you, that's me as a young kid, I can remember, mm. I can see it now, and the big doors are open and the yeah. buses went in, the FA yeah. Cup, it's, yeah. it's mad. But those things like the bus journey on the way to the game, the, for the semi-final and the final, you know, didn't seem like there was any fans from any other club, just Tottenham everywhere. And that's probably because we drove in at our end, but it, didn't, it just felt like that and you felt like you couldn't let those people down. Magic moments. Let's move it on. So we didn't have silverware for a while and it didn't quite go to, to plan for the next few years. But one thing Spurs always do, they bring genius to the football club. Klinsman, Ginola, let's talk about them. Yeah, well, I always talk to us about, and I've, I think I've been in a privileged position to be able to play with some wonderful footballers at this, at this club. And we, got, we get to Klinsman eventually in, in, in 94, 95. But... We did mention Gary Lineker briefly. What a what a striker Gary Lineker was! To be, you know, probably the the best goal scorer I played with, without doubt, the best goal scorer I played with. You just um, always thought when you needed a goal, Lineker. Yeah, it, and, and he was better. His general all round game was better than he was given credit for. So there's Lineker. Um, Teddy, sorry, I missed Teddy off. So there Teddy, Chris well. Waddle was a great player. Yeah. Chris Waddle when he was here in that final season, he was here, he was sensational. Teddy, Super Ted, yep, yeah. Teddy. Darren Anderton was a great player. I was lucky enough to play lots and lots of times with Darren um, and he was a top, top player. But yeah, the 94-95 when we signed Klinsman was a watershed moment, I think, for, for everybody. Um, he was a, not, we knew he was a sensational player. We knew that, but what a guy. What a guy to come and be the way he was with not just us, the players, because you'd expect him to get on well with the players, but he just made sure that he knew everybody in the whole club, everybody just made sure he did and, and spoke to them, and, and then he'd come back a week later, remember their name, and speak to them again, on the, uh, just on a normal level. Such a hum humility for somebody who's achieved what he'd achieved in the game, World Cup winner, amongst everything else that he'd done. Um, he he kind of changed. It. I wouldn't say he was he was in an, on another planet in terms of the way he was trained, but. I think it just made us more professional in in in, in some ways. I mean, he he would have a night out with the boys after a win. Um, I remember after our first home game against Everton when he scored the, the overhead bicycle kick. And uh, after the game, was like, well, uh, he said to Teddy, what what what, what do we do now? And Ted said, well, normally we go down Charlie Chan's, which was a nightclub in in Walthamstow. And uh, yeah, if we win, we go down there and we celebrate together. So Jurgen's like. Come on then, let's go. So about six or seven of us went down to Charlie Chan's and we had a lovely evening down there. And it, it finished, the night uh, the club was closing and the was like, what do we do now? Well, sometimes we go and have something to eat. So he's probably thinking we'll go to a nice restaurant somewhere. So we've, uh, we've got the taxis and we went down to, there was a, a burger van right by, down by the old Swallow Hotel at Waltham Abbey. And we used to go there sometimes. So we got, there, got down there, got out of the cab, and we've all ordered these burgers and stuff, and he's ordered a belly buster, Jürgen. And we're just standing there by the M25 in a little lay-by, eating a belly buster with Jürgen Klinsmann. Wow. And that was it. You thought, I love this guy now. I mean, you know, you, just, you, yeah, you realise yeah. how good he is on the pitch, but then when yeah. you do them, what a man. you make what a, a team man. and friendships. Yeah. It, it makes a big difference when you, yeah. when you need that. Yeah. Uh, he just, uh, I mean, it was, he, he is a, just a genuinely great guy. He's a great guy. And that celebration. 
I yeah. all the time when I scored as a young kid. <laughs> it's just iconic. I did though, score, by the way. I did score goals <laughs> as a young kid. Iconic, though. Yeah, iconic. yeah. Premier League yeah. moments, for yeah. sure. What we need to say as well, David, I mean, obviously, you're, you're part of all these teams, but you're also captain Spurs on a number of occasions. And for someone who came through the academy, I imagine that was a very proud moment for you. Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, to, for, for me to captain my team, our dad was a Spurs fan, so we had no choice. And yeah, for me to walk out wearing the armband, captain of, of my club. If I'd have played one minute for Tottenham Hotspur, I'd have shook your head and said, thank you very much. So to be able to play three, three, five games and also captain the club and play with the great players, still be involved with the club now, it's, it's just glorious. And, and, you know, I feel very privileged and lucky. You just touched on it there, Halsey. Three, three, five appearances, incredible. So tell us, in 1998, when you had to leave, or you, Southampton came calling, how hard was it? It must have been devastating. It was tough. I didn't want to leave, um, but it's football, and, and I totally understood the manager at the time didn't fancy me, and that's football. Absolutely get it 100%. Um, there was a contract on the table at one point, but I wasn't going to play. The manager didn't want me, so uh, he, he wanted to freshen things up in the club and um, I think Mabsy had come to the end of his time as well so uh, Jürgen was going as well it was it was a, 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 a change and I totally understood it I didn't like it hated it but life goes on and obviously my career had to go on so um, as much as I was gutted to leave and didn't want to leave I had no choice really in, in the end and um, I went to Southampton I thoroughly enjoyed it down there I got injured a bit too early for my life. Well, I got injured early. And that was a big disappointment because I really enjoyed the football club and the people and the supporters. And it would have been nice to have proven myself to another set of fans. You're like, you, you've had that privilege to be able to go to another club and win them over and get them all on side. And I, I, played, I only played a dozen times down there and didn't feel like I had the chance to do that. Although I did score one very important goal for them. Tell us about it. Yeah, I thought you might say that. <laughs> so we... Uh, <laughs> We, we drew one all at Highbury against Arsenal and we were 1-0 down and they battered us and Overmars had scored in the first half. It could have been about seven or eight. And anyway, midway through the second half, somehow we got on attack and I, I burst through midfield. My pace took me through past Tony Adams and Steve Bold. Seaman came in, I slotted it past Seaman for the equaliser and we held on for a one-all draw. And at the end of that season, they lost the league title by one point and we stayed up by one point. So I'm claiming both of those. Oh, wow. brilliant. Yeah. And I think you slaughtered when you scored that. Ex-Sotland players Yeah, I stood in front of the clock end yeah. for about 20 minutes. The rest go, come on, we need to get, get the game away. going. <laughs> yeah. Was it down at the clock end? Yeah, it was in the clock end. I bet end. instead of running around to, to your fans in that corner, you probably went the other way, didn't well, you? Just... I've got lots of, having lived up in this area, lots of my mates are Arsenal fans as well, as you probably have as well. And I knew exactly where they sat in the ground from Spurs days and I always used to wave at them. And they used to get abuse from the Arsenal fans. What are you waving to him for? He's my mate, leave it. So it's good. Good banner and good fun. But I knew exactly where they were, so I just stood there waving at them. It, look, it's, it's over 25 years since you sort of left the club. I mean, I always say, I mean, have you ever sort of, I guess we're doing it now, but do you ever sit back and think, look back at it all and think, I mean, your dad's a Spurs fan and just think... Yeah, that went that went all right. Oh, I suppose you don't really. I don't know why. I don't suppose you do. I don't. It's not in a footballer's mentality. It do doesn't it, is feel it? like you know. I, um, no, 
No, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, I, 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 today's the day, Alzi. There we go. No, I don't We're know. We're reminiscing I, I, about those great times that you had. Yeah, this is what we do all the time. Yeah. We talk, and, and when 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 we get together with the old players, we always talk about it. But I don't have that feeling of of. Uh, well, that was good. I mean, clearly it was good, and I've just said to you, I'm I, incredibly lucky and privileged, and I wouldn't have swapped it for anything. So. Um, yeah, maybe it's about time I maybe start reflecting a bit more. Do you still see a lot of your old uh, mates? And I know we obviously... You know, yeah, yeah. It's, so, the, as Miles mentioned, I still try and have a run around with the, with the old boys, and that's nice. Although we're running out of players, we probably need some young blood, but there doesn't seem to be too many coming through. I mean, when it's north. Yeah, yeah. Selective, <laughs> I was very last selective. time you went north and pulled no, my hamstring. No, no. Flipping it. Yeah, well, it only gets worse, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, Halsey, I've seen you, mate. I know what it is. I'm not going to play centre half anymore. No, you don't need to. I have to chase back when I'm. Yeah. Playing. Get that holding midfielder, will you? Yeah. Ah, oh, how's he's, he's a joke. He's a joke. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Yeah. So um, yeah, in, but going back to seeing the lads. Yep. Yeah, there's golf days. There's lots of nice things where we can get involved with each other, and, and, and it's always great to see the lads. You know, we keep talking about doing a '91 reunion, um, but that hasn't happened yet. Maybe we should push a bit harder for that. Uh, just. Just go and have dinner somewhere one night. With the, the lads would be quite nice. Because it's a long, I mean, it's a, a huge chunk of your life, isn't it? I mean, if you take into account, you know, coming to train at the ball court and be, being full time, coming through the system all the way up to 98, I mean, that's a. Yeah, it is. I, I always, always looked upon it as two lives my football life and then my life after football. And I didn't want to be a manager, never fancied the, the pressures that managers put themselves under, get put under, the volatility of the job. Where you, do you move your family to where your job is? Do you go on your own and go back and visit? So there's a lot of reasons why I didn't fancy. And I'd seen mates of mine who, who I'd played with over the years who would suffer uh, mentally from the, the pressures of it. And I didn't fancy that, to be honest. So as much as I love coaching, and I've done a lot of coaching since I retired, I never fancied being a manager. So it was always a case of, OK, there's football, that's done. Move on now to a different life. And that's a privilege again to be able to do that is really lucky and uh, I'm a supporter now I'm a fan I, I support the club and support my team in a way that if if you were a coach or a manager you wouldn't be able to so I, I feel lucky for that as well Halsey you said you didn't want to go into management because of stress you went back to working in schools was that not an awful <laughs> lot of stress tell us a little bit about that no I've uh, it's pr pretty much been my career's teaching since since uh, since I retired um, and still is now um I worked at a, a, an amazing school called Charterhouse in Surrey, where I was director of football for seven or eight years, and worked with some wonderful people there and met some great people. And it's a, it's a great, it's an amazing place, quite a, um, quite a rich history in in football. Uh, Charterhouse old boys won the FA Cup back in the 1800s, and I don't know if you've been down there, Miles, but the facilities they have at that school, uh, like the training ground here, the pitches are just incredible and. The boys don't know they're born. They think that yeah. all football pitches are like yeah, that until yeah. they leave, and then yeah. it's, it's a different world. But uh, no, it was great, and it was an honour to work there for a, for a number of years. And I, I currently work at another school in Surrey, just in the PE department. Um, could be doing anything, uh, table tennis. Happy days, yeah, aren't it? Yeah, if you were 11, 12 years old in David Howes, yeah. it swaps the kids from out here oh, to the wow. kids at school. Eh? There you go. You'd take that all day long, wouldn't you? To be fair, I mean, I mean just going back to your to you still playing. Obviously, you, you were involved in one of the early test events at the stadium, and this all this is all part of 
still being part of the club, really. We see her, you know, we see her most home games with the legends in the suite, seeing them, meeting the fans. You're still playing for the team. You played in that test event at the stadium. Where you know, you're there a lot. Where do you see us at the moment, David? Angie's come in. You're seeing a lot of the games. You're seeing a, a new era, really, at Spurs. What, what have you made of it all? I'm surprised at how positive it is. I couldn't imagine that uh, the mood could change from being one of indifference to many supporters, I'm sure. Uh, but also, um, it's been a tough watch for a couple of years, football. And, and, and listen, this is, this is the reality of it. It's not been easy to watch us play for the last couple of years, I don't think. And for Ange to come in, in the summer and to get, forget results for a minute, forget results and the fact that we're in a really good position in the league and, and in the cup, forget that for a minute. The mood around this place, the mood around the stadium on match days, it's, there's a real positive buzz about the whole place and, every, and that's from top to bottom of the club. Look at the other teams around the club, all buzzing, all doing well. And that comes from the top, that comes from the manager and it's what he's created in such a short spell of time that is remarkable, actually remarkable. Um, so I'm absolutely thrilled that we're in such a great place, of course, as a supporter. Um, and long may it continue. I think um, it's only going to go from strength to strength. I can't see why it wouldn't because of the, the mentality of him and what the way he started and the way things are now. So I can only, I can, I can only see really, really great things ahead for us. Simple question to end it on, but never an easy answer to this. So I'll ask you the question. After all of those years and everything you've put into the club, what does Tottenham Hotspur mean to you, David Howes? Oh, there's not a day goes by when I don't think about Tottenham Hotspur, whether it's um, pondering on the last result, thinking about what's going to happen in the next game, somebody we might sign, somebody who's injured, is he going to get back? So... I reckon that it's a huge proportion of my life. Uh, of course, family and everything else, but it's always been a big part of my life, the club. I was speaking to my brother, Gareth, on the way up here, and there was probably a little spell when I first retired where I didn't feel like that, to be honest, and that, that's, that was hard. That was hard a couple of years. But then it just starts coming back again. The juices start flowing again. And as I said, it's a different perspective as a supporter and as a fan. And you do think differently. And it's not your job. Mm. So you can think differently. You're allowed to. And for me, Tottenham Hotspur, it's been my life. It's been the one consistent in my life. It's always been there. It'll always be there. And um, it's been a real thrill to be on both sides of it. How's it? It's been a thrill to have you on here. So thank you very much. But we're not letting you go just yet, are we, mate? No. Everyone who sits on this... Uh, in that chair, gets asked these questions. So, we've got, what, seven? Seven, seven questions. questions. Here we yep. go. Fire away with the first one. Quick fire, mate. What is your favourite piece of football memorabilia that you own? So, it could maybe you swap the shirt. Maybe you, maybe it's something different. Uh, I suppose my cup winners medal would, would be the favourite if it counts as memorabilia. Um, it certainly does. Yeah, so we're going with that one. 
Right, this is this is coming back, you know. You know the, all the old kits? You see them around the stadiums now, don't you? People mm. are retro yeah. kits, yeah. yeah. Retro. So, your best ever Spurs kit? I think it's my debut kit, the all-white Hummel with the with the little chevrons on the... I love, the, I, I love us now in all-white, and I know it's our European yeah. kit, but we're not yeah. in Europe this year, so we yeah. can wear it. But I like us in all-white. and that's class. Like, yeah, it does, yeah. It's, you always like the all-white, I used to you? love all-white, and I always used to like, like my trainers. Yeah. Like white <laughs> trainers, but crisp white boots with a white kit. Ah, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. So, that Hummel kit... Probably my favourite. I did like the Lecoq Sportif one earlier, but I didn't really wear that one, so that, that Hummel one for me. I think we know the answer to this, but um, what's, your f what's the favourite Spurs player you've played with? Yeah, it's Gascoigne. It's Gascoigne, definitely. I was lucky enough to play with Aussie and Glenn. Great teammates. Glenn just once, sadly, but Aussie, our dealers, what a player Aussie was. Um, so, yeah, uh, crikey, like Ray Clements was in goal when I made my debut. Ray Clements just... You know, amazing. So, but Gascoigne, has to be Gascoigne. Yeah. You've named one, now give us your all-time Spurs five-a-side team. And in you, fact, you ones can you be played with. No, ones you played with. Yeah, ones you play, you played and you with. can be in it or not, it's up to you. I won't be in it. Uh, Clemming goal. Going to go Richard Goff, Chris Waddle, Glenn Hoddle, Gazza, Aussie Ardiles. Aussie, Aussie sub. That was six. Was it? <laughs> Four outfield. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's tricky, isn't it? It's tough. I'm it's thinking tough. like the opposition it's getting tough. the ball back off them. It's tough. No chance. Hold Goffey at the back, solid. Yeah, I like that. Goffey was a hell of a player. I wish he'd have stayed so, longer. Talk us about, I mean, that partnership one for he, one he, season he, with Mabsy was mm -hmm. incredible, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a leader, wasn't it? It was a real shame when he left. Will you take a player off, though? Yeah. I'll take Ozzy off. Sorry, Oz. Sorry, Oz. I mean, tricky. But some, I, I team, yeah. some team that. What would be your one piece of life advice to anyone listening or watching this? Life advice. Uh, don't take anything for granted. Like it. Who is your Spurs unsung hero? It could be a player you've watched that you think maybe the fans don't probably appreciate and should do, or one you played with. I think I might go back to Darren Anderton, actually. And I know that, that probably most people who know anything about the game understand what a great player Darren Anderson was, but I don't think he gets enough credit. Yeah, he's underappreciated. I think he definitely. is, even from my, my point of view when I was yeah, young growing up. He's got over 50 England caps. Mm -hmm. Played Euros, played World Cup. Um, he was a sensational player, Darren Adder, and, and and for me, probably not appreciated. And, and it really winds me up, and I know it does him when people say sick note because he played for over 400 games for Tottenham, um, and his injuries weren't. You know, he was misdiagnosed by by the medical team at the time, so it was it was very hard for him for him to come back and have the career that he had after those those injuries, which were in the, pretty much the peak of his career. So, yeah, for me, Darren Anderton doesn't get the credit he deserves. Do you, do you know who Steve Clement said to me when I went to a Legends game? How was he? Yeah. There you go. There you go. Me and, me, me and Clem were being gaffer. Yeah, He's actually the gaffer, <laughs> real gaffer now, though, isn't he? He's gone on to the Jills. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. there we go. Okay, um, final question. In your opinion, and this would be interesting, actually, because you, you, you know every player that's played for this club, but who is the greatest Spurs player of all time? It's probably Jimmy Greaves. It's probably Jimmy Greaves. I think, um, listen, I never saw Jimmy Greaves play, but when I go back to the characters that I was telling you about before, who would be back at the ground, back at the stadium, those, those people who'd been around the club 50, 60 years, all their working lives, we used to pick their brains and talk to them about players. I remember Johnny Wallace telling us about a player called Ron Burgess, yeah. who was captain of the, the push and run team in 50-51. 
And he always said Ron Burgess was the greatest player. And I was like, well, better than Mackay, better than... That's what Bill Nick used to say. Was his yeah, so player, he said, yeah, Ron Burgess was the greatest player for, for, these, for these people who saw people like Blanche Flower, Mackay and, and Jimmy. Um, my dad always loved Jimmy Greaves. And luckily, we're still able to, we're able to see clips and, and some of his goals. And there's probably another three or 400 that we, we can't ever see, but people tell you about. And I think that when you when you have a scoring record like that, and it, the player that he was, I think Jimmy probably was probably our greatest player. Brilliant, David Ells. Thank you very much. Pleasure, absolutely. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.